It is Thursday, May 11th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. And I'm Timothy Dennis, today addressing a shortage of principals in Arkansas's high-poverty rural school districts. Districts weren't actually that involved in identifying who their principal candidates would be to get into the pipeline. Uh, There wasn't a lot of vetting as to the the leadership potential for these people uh, when they were coming into their graduate degree program. Impact Arkansas is helping identify and mentor future leaders in small school districts. Plus, the economy in good shape or bad or both. It has been a very healthy labor market for workers over the last couple of years. Since the pandemic, we've seen you know a rapid increase in employment. Economist Mervyn Jebaraj talks with Roby Brock about what numbers tell us about the economic future. Plus, our regular Thursday survey of live music and more, all after this hour's news from NPR.
This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, May 11th, 2023, and this is KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. I'm Timothy Dennis. I'm Kyle Kellams. High poverty rural school districts in Arkansas can have difficulty finding principals. For example, John Pianowski, a professor of educational leadership in the College of Education and Health Professions at the University of Arkansas, offers this anecdote. There was one story that really popped for me, and that was there was a a cluster of five school districts, all very close to each other in the southeast part of the state. They were all looking for a principal at the same time, and they each got between three and five applicants for that job. But when I talked to the superintendents, they told me that they each had exactly one qualified applicant in their pool. Pianowski is also creator of and principal investigator for Impact Arkansas a project designed to help identify aspiring leaders in small, high-poverty school districts and allow districts then to develop their own future leaders. Yesterday, he came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to talk with Kyle. John Bacon, the executive director of Impact Arkansas, joined them by phone to talk about the past and current work involved with Impact Arkansas. Now, about that anecdote John Pianowski was telling us about the five school districts, each with just one qualified candidate to be a principal, And I thought that was curious, that it was such a specific and exactly the same number. So I dug a little deeper. And what I learned was that it was the same person. So what we really had is one qualified principal candidate for five jobs. And and so the the more I dug into that research and I understand just how how difficult the the problem was, uh, I started to understand there were some other problems as well. You know, districts weren't actually that involved in identifying who their principal candidates would be to get into the pipeline. Uh, there wasn't a lot of vetting as to the, the leadership potential for these people uh, when they were coming into their graduate degree program. And the experience they were getting, the internship experience and the mentoring they were getting, it wasn't diverse. It wasn't very intense. It wasn't of the high quality that I think they needed. Uh, and a lot of the solutions around the country to solve this kind of problem was to try to identify people in places like Northwest Arkansas. Right. Grow them there and then send them to these communities. Uh, and, and that never really worked. Uh, people either didn't go or they didn't stay very long when they did. So you had a lot of high turnover. Uh, you had people who were coming into these communities that didn't understand the players. Um, they were looked at skeptically, and un- understandably so. And so you know, I sat down you know, with my team, and we tried to develop, well, okay, what would it ideally look like? Uh, and we ended up coming up with the impact program. <laughs> And so the Impact Program attempts to address a lot of these issues. It's a grow-your-own program. Uh, It specifically is looking to work with high-poverty rural communities for the most part, but but not not just rural communities, Um, and and to try to have a very rigorous vetting process on the front end to eliminate a lot of the obstacles that people might have, uh, financial obstacles, for example, obstacles of time. Uh, to engage school districts directly so superintendents are involved in helping identify and, and mentor these future leaders and, and grow that pipeline. Uh, and then to, to bring to them a really high-quality, rigorous experience that, that we think prepares them to be successful on the job. John Bacon, do you find buy-in from these school districts that are traditionally uh, categorized as rural or underserved? We absolutely do. You know, that's one of our expectations when we are going through the vetting process of identifying candidates 
for our program is that we meet with the principal or superintendent, whoever's going to be supervising our potential fellow, and make sure that they have identified this person as an up-and-coming leader. Uh, in fact, we often ask the question, um, you know, if you had a principal or assistant principal position become open in the next two years, would this be your top candidate or one of your top candidates? Because we want to make sure that uh, the people that we are selecting and supporting and training um, also are seen on the ground as being potential future leaders. And so we really start with that process in order to build a true partnership with the principal, superintendent, leadership there within the school and the community. If I'm identified as a potential leader or someone who is interested in this, and I've seen it described as job-embedded learning experience, what are, what are some of those experiences that can happen while I'm trying to work my way to possibly becoming a principal? Basically, we have worked with um, the principal superintendents uh, each year as our, our cohorts work their way through. We sort of adapt our projects, but we have 14 specific projects that we identified as job-embedded projects for fellows to complete during this 18-month period in which they're uh, participating in our program. And what we wanted to do was avoid the sort of busy work type of activities that can often be associated with um, coursework where, you know, it's sort of a generic set of data or, you know, kind of an imaginary school setting. So what we do is um, we work with our fellows and their leadership team on the ground at their schools to make sure that the projects are actually projects that would be beneficial to the school. And so we'll do projects, um, specifically things like parent involvement. And so each of our fellows, one of their projects is a requirement that they identify what types of opportunities are currently available in their schools for parents to get involved, uh, to engage parents in, and, and really engage the school community. And then they have to uh, develop a plan for an actual uh, parent event um, and work with their administration and, and staff on the ground and then actually implement that uh, and, then, and then sort of reflect on it and provide some feedback on the, the success uh, of the event. And so what we find is regularly that specific project um, we have fellows who will tell us, you know, my school has had very limited parent involvement and parent engagement, um, but, you know, just something as simple as, you know, putting together an event, um, the outreach piece, all of that. Now our fellow is understanding how much is involved in building relationships with parents and with the community. And so oftentimes they'll report back, you know, we had phenomenal uh, parent participation and, and um, attendance at our event. And then it will become something that snowballs into future opportunities, future engagements with those families. Uh, and we find that it's, it's really one of, that's specifically one of our most successful uh, projects that each cohort participates in. You're looking to identify uh, future leaders at these small schools. So let's say someone is identified at Norfolk in north central Arkansas, a small district in Baxter County. Is it necessary that they might become a principal there, or could they perhaps, if they're willing, go to someplace like Hackett, a small rural district in, in western Arkansas? 
So we've built it into the program that the applicants, when they come in, they, they know that there's a, a, a commitment that they're going to stay in their communities. Mm. That's what makes it a grow-your-own program. And I'll, I'll be honest, when, I, when we first started and, and I went on a listening tour, to what might be some of our target districts before we even began the process of recruiting our first cohort. Uh, and there was, there was a lot of skepticism uh, about the idea that we would identify their most talented people. Uh, and not steal them. <laughs> and develop them, and then they would leave uh, for other jobs, maybe higher paying opportunities or in different communities. Uh, and, and it took a while uh, for, for us to convince them and to really, for us to hear them um, and, and develop the program around this idea that we would recruit with that in mind, that they would be committed to, to staying at least two years uh, in that community. And because they're coming from this community, I think there's a, there's a much greater chance that they will stay beyond that. Our early experiences are that they are staying. And that's success across the board then, I would assume. Absolutely. Um, they're committed to success to, in those communities. They're committed to those schools. They have long histories with them. Uh, sometimes they went to those schools uh, themselves. I was going to ask that. Do, to, to both of you, do you find that you see some of that, maybe not immediately in that school district, but within that sort of micro region? Yes, we absolutely do. You know, I'm sitting here thinking about a specific fellow that's um, in Dumas down in southeast Arkansas who grew up in Dumas, went to the schools in Dumas, was an elementary school teacher uh, there as she was participating in our fellowship program and remained there and has since now moved into a formal leadership role in that same school. Her children live there. It's it's just, uh, you know, that's the the model, I think, of finding people who are so committed to these communities, they're not going anywhere. And they have the leadership instincts. They have the ear of the, the leadership team on the ground. Um, those are the people that we're trying to help support, coach, uh, mentor, uh, so that they're ready when that position opens up. Because, you know, as we noted, there oftentimes aren't a lot of formal leadership positions in some of our smaller, more rural schools. But we want our fellows to be prepared um, when those leadership opportunities do arrive because, uh, you know, we want them to be committed to the community. And I think what makes this really special is that uh, these candidates who are committed to these communities are also part of a cohort that, that spans the state. And they get access to very different ways to do things. They get access to lots of different expertise that the IMPACT program brings into their formal education and professional development and mentoring. And so while they are from and continuing to serve these communities, they're also bringing fresh ideas. Uh, and when transformation needs to happen, they come in with confidence that they, they've, they know how this works in other communities, maybe similar kinds of communities, and they can sell it. They can get buy-in, and, and we find some amazing transformative leadership happening in very short order, which is exciting to see. It's exactly what the program is designed to do. What about S.C. Tucker Elementary School in Danville in Yale County? They, they received an accolade earlier this spring. That's right. Uh, this is uh, the first uh, school that was actually led by back-to-back -back impact fellows. 
and so we have two principals impact fellow graduates, uh, and and most recently uh, they won the Beating the Odds Award from the Office of Educational Policy. Uh, for being the highest performing high poverty school in the state of Arkansas. Uh, And so um, this is a great example when we went to visit uh, that not only were they uh, incredibly uh, attuned to to being data driven and that there was a tremendous amount of buy-in and uh, from the superintendent to to every teacher we talked to, but also to the students. Uh, uh, The culture was so positive. The community was, was so tightly wrapped around this idea of, of children learning and, and having opportunities. And uh, I think they took advantage of every single aspect of being a rural community. Uh, they leveraged what m- some might see as obstacles and turned them into strengths. And so um, it's an example of, of taking a lot of what I know that they learned through impact, um, uh, getting the teachers to, to buy in, building a culture where teachers felt empowered and respected, uh, and and using all that uh, to to bring that to bear in the classroom, uh, and, and for what I could tell, in the hallways, and and I think when the children went home as well, it was very impressive. impressive. Any idea how many school districts have uh, graduated fellows from this program in leadership roles? Well, I know that we have uh, we've touched um, over a uh, hundred and twenty schools. Wow. Um, in over 80 districts, uh, including the most recent cohort. Uh, and I, uh, in these schools, we have uh, people who are working in a variety of different leadership positions. So some of them are working as principals, some are, are working as APs, um, and some are, are sort of in the pipeline at the ready. Uh, so they're teacher leaders uh, working with leadership teams in a variety of different capacities, uh, but still leveraging those strengths and bringing them to the team. John Pianowski is a professor of educational leadership in the College of Education and Health Professions at the University of Arkansas. And John Bacon is the executive director of Impact Arkansas. Our conversation took place yesterday afternoon. You can learn more about Impact Arkansas at impactfellowship.org. You can also find information through the University of Arkansas College of Education and Health Professions. This is Ozarks at Large. Historic Cane Hill presents Nyloak and Beyond, an exhibition of rare examples of Nyloak's swirled missionware art pottery, alongside creations from potteries around the country inspired by the Arkansas-made Nyloak swirl design. The opening reception is this Sunday, May 7th, 1 to 5 p.m., in conjunction with the second annual Arkansas Pottery Festival. More information at Historic Cane Hill AR. Fayetteville Public Television offers classes in video production plus accessibility to equipment and broadcast channels to share your videos with a viewing audience. Serving all residents of Washington and Benton County, Fayetteville Public Television can help people turn video ideas into reality. FAYpublic.tv for more information. Thank you for being with us on this Thursday. Northwest Arkansas Pride is moving part of its celebration away from longtime partner Walton Art Center. In a press release yesterday, Pride organizers stated they're shifting their youth zone activities to the Fayetteville Town Center after being told the Walton Art Center would not host drag performances, allowing minors to attend. According to a press release, no official Pride events will take place at the venue this year. Pride and Walton Art Center have collaborated on various Pride weekend events for several years. Walton Art Center issued a statement 
saying drag is a performance medium that the venue recognizes and presents on its stage regularly, and that will not change. The statement also includes that the center celebrates diversity and is open to hosting Pride events this year, except for drag story time for minors. The decision, the statement reads, was made out of a concern for safety due to the divisive political rhetoric at this time. The University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences will use a $5.5 million grant from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services to fund training and outreach programs in rural and underserved areas of the state. The funds will be applied to several projects, including the Medical Scholars and Public Health Post-Baccalaureate Program for Arkansas from socially, economically, or geographically disadvantaged backgrounds, and supporting medical student rotations in rural and underserved communities. The grant will also be used toward the renovation of training facilities for a primary care accelerated medical school track and four-year traditional medical school track of the UAMS Northwest Regional Campus in Fayetteville. Construction is scheduled to begin this summer on a new hotel in South Fayetteville. Specialized Real Estate announced this week that Moxie Hotels, a division of the Marriott brand, will be part of the South Yard development near the intersection of Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard and South School. Officials have raised the award amount for information related to the killing of four bald eagles near a north-central Arkansas city. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has increased the reward to $15,000. They're seeking information that could lead to a conviction in the killing of the federally protected birds near Pyatt and Marion County. The reward is up from the $5,000 originally offered last month. The service joined the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission in the investigation. They found that the eagles and other animals were shot between mid-January and mid-February. A section of Manchester Drive in Bella Vista between Blakeney Lane and Finchley Lane will be fully closed to traffic beginning Thursday, June 1st for an extended period for the construction of a trail tunnel beneath that roadway. The closure is expected to last through July 7th because of the amount of bedrock in the area. Motorists will be detoured along Latshaw Drive to Dartmoor Road. The city of Bentonville is ushering us closer to summer. Yesterday, the city announced the fountains at Lawrence Plaza and the Creekside Park Splash Pad will officially open Saturday. The Melvin Ford Aquatic Center Memorial Park will open the Saturday before Memorial Day, May 27th. The University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture this week broke ground on the Northeast Rice Research and Extension Center, KAT-TV reports. The center will be located in Harrisburg in Poinsett County. DQ Fields is the division's vice president of agriculture. He says the center will include an education component to educate consumers and youth about agriculture and its impact on their lives. It has the education component as compared to other uh, research and extension centers. So we're focusing on educating consumers and youth about where their food comes from and also how agriculture actually helps to improve their quality of life. The division says Arkansas was the top producer of rice for the U.S. in 2022. Officials said they expect to start construction on the center as soon as possible. The SEC softball tournament continues today and tonight at Bogle Park in Fayetteville, weather permitting. The Arkansas Razorbacks will play Alabama in tonight's last scheduled game. The winner will then advance into Saturday's semifinals. And the SEC Outdoor Track and Field Championships begin today in Baton Rouge. Both Arkansas teams are favorites to win conference championships. The men enter the meet ranked number one in the country, while the women are ranked third in the nation. Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. I'm Paul Gatling. Arkansas's first gentleman, Brian Sanders, says he hopes to double the state's outdoor recreation economy 
from $3.5 billion to $7 billion in the next 10 years. Sanders was named by his wife, Governor Sarah Sanders, to chair the Natural State Advisory Council. Their purpose is to establish Arkansas as an outdoor recreation destination and grow the outdoor economy. Brian Sanders spoke on Tuesday before the Rotary Club of Little Rock. Joining him were Tom Walton, who is a co-founder of Bentonville Investment Company Runway Group, and Murphy USA Chief Financial Officer Mindy West. Sanders said the council came about because the governor had told him she was tired of Arkansas competing at the bottom in various state rankings, particularly in those areas where Arkansas should be competing at the top. Now, from a Northwest Arkansas perspective, Walton told the audience that a new economic study will be released soon, showing that cycling had created a $159 million impact on the Northwest Arkansas economy in 2022. Now, we've got some additional reporting from that panel discussion earlier this week in Little Rock, and you can find that on our sister website at talkbusiness.net. We're back with more news after the break on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. Security. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. Arkansas's unemployment rate dropped to a record low of 3% in March. And the state's latest revenue report shows a budget surplus of about $430 million with two months left to go in the fiscal year. Those are good indicators. And yet in the midst of a debt ceiling debate and interest rate hikes to tame inflation, most discussion about the economy says that it's not good and potentially could get worse. For some perspective, here is University of Arkansas economist Mervyn Jebaraj in a recent interview with Roby Brock. It has been a very healthy labor market for workers over the last couple of years. Since the pandemic, we've seen you know a rapid increase in employment. Uh, as many people as want to work have jobs today, and wages have wage growth for workers have been very strong, especially for lower income workers. So the you know highest wage growth we've seen in the last couple of years has been for lower income workers. So that's very important, you know, a good positive sign um, for workers in this economy. So now I'm going to be one of those, on the other hand, uh, type of economists, you know, with such a tight labor market, uh, this many people working and the unemployment rate as low as it is, uh, when employers want to go out and find people to work, it's a lot harder to get people to work for you. Uh, employers obviously have to raise wages significantly to be able to hire workers and offer other benefits that they typically do not offer or have not offered. So um, I think what you're hearing in the public is often, you know, workers themselves are doing 
better than they have in the last year and the year before. Uh, but what you're hearing constantly is, especially from smaller businesses, employers uh, saying that they're having a hard time uh, hiring workers and that colors their view of uh, economic conditions because their employment costs have gone up significantly. So, but on, you know, you look at labor force participation rate it has increased uh, nationally, uh, especially if you look at the prime age labor force participation rate, this is people between 25 and 55. So they're out of school and uh, they're not retired yet. That labor force, uh, that employment rate is certainly higher than it was pre-pandemic and is at one of the higher rates that we've seen in the last couple of decades. So I think you're looking at a very healthy labor market on, you know, employees side, on the worker side, but it is very tight for uh, employers that want to hire workers. There's just going to be, at least in the short term, not a whole lot we can do uh, to increase the supply of workers without dealing with things like childcare um, and immigration levels in this country. All right, let's talk about a raging debate in Congress. Who knows, things may change from the time that we've had this conversation to the next time we have this conversation. Uh, Congress is uh, poised to have a showdown with the president over the debt ceiling. Um, we've got to pay our bills. These are debts that we've accumulated. Republicans in the House side want to raise the debt ceiling, but also couple that with some spending cuts. The president has not really indicated he's in favor of that. Senate Democrats not uh, on board with that either. I think I hear a lot of um, I hear a lot of huffing and puffing about what may happen with this debt ceiling debate. What is the reality of if they don't cut a deal by, let's say, June 1st, which is the arbitrary deadline we're hearing, what happens would we really default on our debts and what would be the uh, the outcome or repercussions of something like that? Right. So, you know, this isn't our first rodeo with the debt ceiling. Unfortunately, we've been here before, uh, including one time when we had passed the, you know, forget the arbitrary date, the actual uh, dates for uh, when the federal government sort of ran out of money. Um, so I think, you know, in the initial, since we've seen this playbook before, what happens, you know, for example, the federal government has already passed the debt ceiling and they're currently in what they call extraordinary, uh, taking extraordinary measures to continue uh, paying for different obligations by not, uh, you know, putting money in, say, civil service retirement funds and things like that. So you know, the debt ceiling has already been passed. The question is when the government has to make difficult decisions about which payments to prioritize and that you know the date set currently by the US Treasury is June 1st and, you know some private sector speculation is that maybe that date is actually in July but that entirely depends on um sort of cost to the government in the interim as well as tax revenues coming in tax revenues have typically been lower in the summer months for the federal government uh, we've seen some tax filing extensions based on some natural disasters that happened recently um, so the revenues coming in have been lower, so we might get to that uh, debt ceiling, you know, X date, as it's called, uh, you know, soon in June um, or maybe as late as July. But I think the uh, thing that we're concerned about is when we reach that date, uh, you know, the federal government, the U.S. Treasury is still going to pay uh, the interest and principal on debt that comes due. Uh, so what they're going to cut is, you know, payments to federal employees. They're going to continue working, but without getting a check. 
Social Security, Medicare uh, beneficiaries are going to see reduced payments to be able to meet the debt obligations. And I think that is where we run into trouble uh, when we start pulling back on the amount of money that Social Security recipients or Medicare recipients are able to utilize uh, to meet their day-to-day obligations. But before that uh, economic impact even happens, I think what we've seen the last time this happened is Uh, an increase in borrowing costs. So borrowing costs for the federal government has already gone up last uh, year. That's going to increase even more, which means that we're going to be paying more as taxpayers because of uh, running up this debt ceiling increase. Uh, Last time we saw an immediate decrease in consumer and business confidence. So consumers are going to pull back, businesses are going to pull back because of uncertainty and immediate declines in the stock market as well. And so we've already seen quite a bit of stock market volatility this year. Uh, And so those are the very immediate impacts that you'll see. The longer term impacts would be, you know, reduced spending by Medicaid, Social Security beneficiaries and federal government employees as well. That's University of Arkansas economist Mervyn Jebaraj. And you can watch that entire interview on our sister website at talkbusiness.net. In other news this week, the latest issue of the Business Journal is out, and we are proud to introduce our 2023 class of Fast 15 honorees. Be sure and check that out at nwabusinessjournal.com. Fayetteville Real Estate Developer Specialized Real Estate Group has announced the hotel brand for its $63 million South Yard development in Fayetteville. It's Marriott International's millennial-focused Moxie. Construction will begin this summer. And Tyson Foods' stock price fell to a three-year low after Tuesday's earnings release that revealed a $97 million loss in the second fiscal quarter. That compared with an $829 million gain in the same quarter of the previous year. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Timothy Dennis. Time to do a survey of some of the live music coming up in the next seven or so days. Oh, man, we don't have enough time to talk about nearly all of it or even half of it, but let's give it a shot. Highlights. Let's start with tonight. Kingfish in Fayetteville. They're going to have the one-man band Dance Monkey Dance on their stage. Okay. That gets underway at about 9 o'clock tonight. Again, that's at Kingfish in Fayetteville. Also happening today, but also throughout the rest of the weekend, is Space Bear. Oh, that's right. I'm a long, long way from my home in Arkansas. Road goes on. I can guarantee one of these days I'll be back on my way for that little darling way there for me. at the farm at Eureka Springs. It starts today, goes through Sunday. Tonight's headliners include Arkansas and Forgotten Space. Saturday includes the bands Green Acres, Eureka Strings, Creamery Station, Circles Around the Sun, and more. And then for Sunday, let me ask you a question, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Do you like hip hop? Yeah. Smarty Jones is going to start. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Hadn't thought about Smarty Jones in a while. I hadn't either. I didn't realize he was still around, but That's he awesome. is on the bill for Sunday. Also including Moontroom, Charlie Mellinger, Vintage Pistol, Flitwick, and many others. Right. Single day tickets for Spaceberry start at $60. Again, that takes place all weekend at the farm in Eureka Springs. You can have a Smarty party on Sunday. You could. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Friday night, tomorrow night. Kingfish and Fayetteville is going to have the local band Red Oak Roos on their stage. I like them. I love them. Is 
That also gets underway at around 9 o'clock. Again, that's tomorrow at Kingfisher Fayetteville. Smoke and Barrel in Fayetteville tomorrow night is going to have a rock and shoegaze show featuring the local bands The Misdemeanors, Moonsong, and Idol Valley. That show is $5. Starts at 9.30 tomorrow night again at Smoke and Barrel in Fayetteville. Happening a bit earlier in the evening tomorrow in Fayetteville, in the Lower Ramble, it's one of the coolest things of the year. Trail Mix. Oh, wait, what? Already? Yeah. yeah. Artisphere gets underway this week. Oh, my gosh. Well, now, this year, I think it's it's more compact, right? Yeah, it's in all the... in the Lower Ramble. Right. Lower Ramble, which is, you know... We could literally roll to it from our studio. We could. We could. Different bands, different acts. Mm -hmm. So in the past, it's been along the trail. Right. If it's all in one place, does that mean it'll be like you can stay in one place and watch the bands? That I'm not okay. sure, but I do know that they have an app this year where you can find out like okay. specifics of each individual thing. All right. And, you know, if you're going to do Artisphere, I suggest that you get the app, but we're going to hit some of the highlights okay. later in the right. segment. Okay. Uh, again, that gets underway at about 5.30 tomorrow evening, afternoon in the Lower Ramble in Fayetteville. That's so cool. Happening up to the north of us in Bentonville, Meteor Guitar Gallery tomorrow night is going to have a rock and roll show featuring the bands Earthbone and the Flip-Off Pirates. Mm. Your friends call you Kingpin and they love to watch you clown and you would never disappoint them when they call Cover is $10 in advance, goes up to $15 at the door, starts at 8 o'clock tomorrow night, again at Meteor Guitar Gallery in Bentonville. Also happening tomorrow night in Bentonville, it's the next uh, Patio Concert Series concert at Bike Rack Board Company. Right. This week they're featuring Vintage Well, I've right. been to here in the precious piling on. Spend your day thinking about the way that everybody does you wrong. Something good would come your way, you really don't think you dare. Sing a sad song, money's all gone. That gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night again at by Craig Brewing Company in Bentonville. Happening over in Eureka Springs, aside from Spaceberry, Chelsea's is going to have the band Free Range Strange in the house. Great name, I okay. love the name. What do we know about them? Uh, they're a folk band from Florida. Mm -hmm. If she gets away once more, she might not come back. I can't argue with freedom. Covers $5, gets underway at 9.30 tomorrow night again. That's at Chelsea's in Eureka Springs. And down in Fort Smith tomorrow night, Majestic is going to welcome Texas-based Americana rock artist Austin Mead back to the area. You could be happy here alone. Tickets are $15 in advance, go up to $18 at the door, starts at 8 o'clock tomorrow night again, that's at the Majestic in Fort Smith. Okay, Saturday night, Kingfish and Fayetteville is going to have the rock and roll band Magnolia Brown on stage.
show gets underway at 9 o'clock Saturday night again at Kingfish in Fayetteville. Then down in Fort Smith Saturday night, Temple Live is going to have the country artist Mark Wills on stage. For the rest of my life, you don't have to think twice. I will love you still. From the depths of my soul, it's beyond my control. I don't know Mark Wills. He's been around for a bit. He's from Texas. He had a few bigger hits in the late 90s, early aughts. Okay. Tickets are $30. That gets underway at 8 o'clock Saturday night again at Temple Live in Fort Smith. If you don't want to go all the way to Fort Smith or if you don't want to come all the way up to Fayetteville, Ashton Barbary is going to be at Ozark Folkways in Winslow. There you go. Right in the middle. They're asking for $10 at the door at that show. That gets underway at 6 o'clock. Saturday night, again, at Ozark Folkways in Winslow. Sunday night, Majestic in Fort Smith is going to have American Aquarium in the house. You know, I've seen them, yeah. and they put on a heck of a show. That's what I've heard from they everyone. They put on a heck of a show. seen or toured. Yeah. Joining them on that bill is artist Emily Ninri. Mm-hmm. Uh, tickets are $25 in advance. Go up to $30 at the door. Starts at 6 o'clock Sunday night, again at the Majestic in Fort Smith. Okay, jumping ahead into next week. Uh, Tuesday, Walton Arts Center is going to have an installment of the Artisphere Festival Orchestra. Okay. They're going to feature an evening of Brahms and Beethoven. Nice. Uh, tickets are $10. Yeah, I mean, they're really inexpensive yeah. for I mean, this. If you've never seen a symphony orchestra, I would say that this is probably the one to see. Heck of a way to start. They're yeah. amazing, and it's only $10. Yeah. That concert gets underway at 7 o'clock Tuesday night at Walton Arts Center in Fayetteville. Wednesday night, George's in Fayetteville is going to have Black Joe Lewis in the house. Really? Yeah. Tickets are probably more than $10? They are. They're $20 in oh. advance. Go up to $25 at the door. Starts at 8 o'clock Wednesday night. Hell, that's Georgia's cheap. That's yeah. inexpensive. If you're wanting something a little bit different Wednesday night, Smokey and the Mirror are going to be playing at Cooper Chapel in Bella Vista. I was down at the barber shop, the barber pushing hair around with a mop and said, Hey son, you know I know this man, he's got a long lean face, a deep dark It's part, part of, of Artosphere, part of the Chapel Music Series. They do this every year. If you're thinking about this, I suggest hopping on it. Yeah, because tickets for the Chapel Music Series, they go quick. Like, really right. quick. And really, not bad tickets either. I mean, they're only $15. And you're in this wonderful chapel, and, yeah. you know, it's all glass, and, right. oh my gosh. Gets underway at 6.30 Wednesday night. Again, that's at Cooper Chapel in Bella Vista. And then a couple more things happening next Thursday. More Artisphere things. Okay. Walton Arts Center is going to have the peer-to-peer jazz sextet in Star Theater. Ooh. Yeah. Best part about that, though, it is a free show, but you have to register to get tickets because it's so small. I'd be hopping on that, too. I would, too. Gets underway at 7 o'clock next Thursday again at Walton Arts Center in Fayetteville. That's the 18th. That is the 18th. And also part of Artisphere that night. They're doing the the off-the-grid shows as well, which is where they... 
have members of the Artist for Festival Orchestra in the downtown entertainment right. districts of Fayetteville and Rogers, and they just do pop-up shows. Yeah. So if you're out in downtown Fayetteville or Rogers next Thursday night, you might pop into an Artisphere concert without even realizing it. But that'll take care of us for the next seven All months. All right. Thank you, Timothy Thank you. Dennis. Walton Arts Center presents Hadestown, winner of eight Tony Awards, including Best Musical. Hadestown intertwines two mythical tales, that of young dreamers Orpheus and Eurydice, and that of King Hades and his wife Persephone into a musical journey. It's a trip to the underworld and back May 23rd through the 28th. Tickets at waltonartscenter.org. KUAF is supported by Dr. Kathleen Wong, a psychiatrist providing infusion therapy for treatment of depression and anxiety disorders. Following NIMH protocol, studies show ketamine infusion therapy can reduce suicidal ideation and is an effective alternative when other treatments fail. drkathleenwong.com for more information. Tomorrow on Ozarks, most of us experience Theater Squared by going to the theater in downtown Fayetteville and taking in a show. But for thousands of school students across Arkansas, Theater Squared comes to them. Last year we saw 25,000 students, um, all free to the school, so we perform a, a show that is uh, you know, tied to course content, so this year we did the Shakespeare show. The educational outreach of T2 on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large, plus our regular Friday check-ins with Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics and Becca Martin-Brown with the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Join us at noon and 7 p.m. on 91.3 KUAF, or listen anytime with the free Ozarks at Large podcast. Associate Professor and Chair of the Music Department at the University of Arkansas, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. We open Sound Perimeter today with You Are the Dust by American composer Missy Mazzoli. This song's ethereal and hauntingly beautiful melodies reflect the fragile nature of existence. You Are the Dust is part of Missy Mazzoli's opera from 2012, Song from the Uproar. This opera is inspired by Swiss adventurer Isabel Eberhardt, who at age 20, after the death of her mother, brother, and father, left her life in Switzerland to travel to North Africa, where she crossed the desert on horseback, dressed as a man, documenting her journey of self-discovery, the elation and mystery of death in journals and short stories. 
She drowned in a flash flood in the Sahara Desert at age 27, and her last writings had to be pulled from the water and dried. Those texts inform Mozzoli's opera, and this particular aria is about Isabel's struggle to, quote, reconcile her feelings for her husband with her desire for freedom of movement and often leaves him behind and she travels the desert on horseback. It was an excerpt from You Are the Dust, an aria from the opera Song from the Uproar by American composer and pianist Missy Mazzoli, interpreted by Emily D'Angelo and Sofia Munoz from a recording from 2021. Canción del Mango, Yo Quiero Mango, I Want Mangos, was written in 2020 by Colombian musicians Hakana Hakana, Gianni Benavides, and Andres Alvarez. This song is inspired by Mango Jam, a creative laboratory that happens every year during the mango harvest in the Sierra Nevada de Santa Marta, Colombia. Communities in the region come together to prepare delicious mango preserves in the form of jam, chutney, pulp, sauerkraut, wine, chicha, vinegar, and many more. Knowledge is also shared through workshops and harvest parties where mango recipes are tested and shared. 
The mango jam has existed thanks to the dedication and effort of all the people and communities that are available year after year to collect and process the mango, supporting other people and nearby communities, being this a multicultural process in which indigenous communities participate, along with farmers, locals and tourists. Yo quiero mango, todo el año quiero mango. Yo quiero mango, todo el año quiero mango. Mango maduro, mango pintón, mango bichi con limón, porque mango hay un montón. Mango maduro, mango pintón, mango bichi con limón, porque el mango ya llegó. Yo quiero mango, todo el año quiero mango. Yo quiero mango. Ya comienza la cosecha, todo el mundo está de fiesta, los fogones se calientan y la gente está contenta porque el mango está de vuelta, saquen pronto su receta. Mango maduro, mango pinto, mango bichi con limón, porque mango hay un montón. Mango maduro, mango pinto, mango bichi con limón, porque el mango ya llegó. Yo quiero mango, todo el año quiero mango, yo quiero mango. Todo el año quiero mango Yo quiero mango lorito, mango pajarito Mango manzano, dame mango colombiano Quiero mango morado, mango perfumado Mango chancleto porque el suelo está repleto Quiero mango de hilacha, mango candela Mango poma rosa, mango pecho paloma Quiero mango, todo el año quiero mango Mango maduro, mango pinto Mango bichi con limón porque mango hay un montón Mango biche con limón, porque el mango ya llegó. Palmino está pelando mucho mango, todo el año quiero mango. Santa Rita mucho mango cocinando, todo el año quiero mango. Río Minca, río Piedra, río Ancho. That was Cancion del Mango by the Colombian group Hakana Hakana, celebrating the fruit and the ability to share and build community through recipes and activities around mango harvest in Colombia. Life and death, sadness and happiness, loneliness and community, all one and all in the music we share today in Sound Perimeter. This is Leah Uribe, Associate Professor and Chair of the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter, a show written and hosted by me and produced by Timothy Dennis of KUAF 91.3 in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Sound Perimeter is a segment dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it will expand your knowledge and connection to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. See you soon. Mango bitch 
quiero mango. Todo el año quiero mango. This is a Thursday edition of Ozarks at Large. Thanks so much for being with us. Music, a big part of our show on Thursdays, of course, Timothy Dennis giving us a rundown of live music for the next week or so and Leo Ribe's sound perimeters. But music is a big part of 91.3 KUAF throughout the week and then especially as we move toward the weekend. For example, this week's Shades of Jazz with Robert Ginsburg, brand new. Tomorrow night, he'll have music from clarinetist Annette Cohen, organist Jimmy Smith, Wayne Shorter, and much more. Shades of Jazz with Robert Ginsburg, tomorrow night from 10 until midnight on 91.3 KUAF. Then Saturday from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. on KUAF 3, one of our digital signals. And the Vinyl Hour with Robert Marshall this week, brand new. That's Saturday night at 5 on 91.3 KUAF. His guests this week are Albert and Taylor from Margaret's Food Truck. They're going to talk about some of their favorite tunes that remind them of happy times and important times in their lives. The Vinyl Hour, brand new, Saturday evening at 5 on 91.3 KUAF. Then an encore, Sunday evening at 5 on KUAF 3. In fact, all of our locally produced music programs like Jazz Scoop, Jazz uh, Pick and Post with Mike Shirky, The Generic Blue Show, Ozark Highlands Radio can be heard again on the weekend on KUAF 3. You can pick up KUAF 3 on your digital radio in your car or at home by using the KUAF app for iPhone or iPad, by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF3. You can also stream the signal at KUAF.com. We also have KUAF2, 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week classical music station, that too free and available through all those similar venues. Your connection for local music, the family of KUAF stations. The Artisphere Festival Orchestra returns to Walton Arts Center with two main stage concerts under the baton of Maestro Corrado Rivera's, featuring more than 90 musicians from around the world, presenting works by Brahms and Beethoven May 16th and Respighi's Roman Trilogy on May 20th. Tickets and more at artisphereFestival.org. This is 91.3 FM KUAF Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Kingston. Contributors to today's show included Paul Gatling and Leah Uribe. Timothy produced today's Ozarks at Large and today's Sound Perimeter with Leah Uribe in the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio. We also had assistance today from the newsroom at KASU in Jonesboro and from Stephanie Brock in Little Rock. I'm Kyle Kellums. And I'm Timothy Dennis. Please be well.